Daniel as we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Wednesday night in the book of Ezekiel, encourage you to come out for that. You're getting a two for two of the major prophets in the Bible, Ezekiel and Daniel. Daniel on Sunday morning. Daniel chapter 1, now I know your bulletin says that we uh, got, what does your bulletin say? How many, through seven, that didn't happen. Uh, We went from seven verses and then I thought I'd get to four verses and then ultimately it was three verses. So who knows what's going to happen in second service. But let's try at least these first three. Daniel 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Some of the articles of the house of God, which he had carried into the land of Shinar, or Iraq, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the youth, the children of Israel, and some of the king's descendants, and some of its nobles. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for our day. And Father, you're always gracious to us, Lord, your mercy and your love. And Father, that we would draw close to you through the prophet Daniel. What a powerful book, Lord to just hear from you once again. So thank you, Lord, for our day and for those serving around our building now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, On Wednesday night, we showed this slide for you. So I want to put up at least this one. uh, We had all these slides and never got to them. We have only one. And it is a uh, gives you kind of an idea of where we are and the importance of three characters. So on Wednesday night, we talked about Ezekiel's ministry, and I realize that's way down here, but you've got Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. These are the three main characters during this time. You've got Jeremiah, who is speaking in Israel to the children of Israel there. You've got Ezekiel speaking to those in Babylon, the children of Israel. But then you have Daniel, that's our focus. He is speaking to the court of Babylon, right? to the government of Babylon. So God is covering all the bases. He's got the children of Israel. By the way, this gets posted on our social media. So if you miss it, don't worry about it. It gets posted there on our Twitter page and Facebook. So you can go there. So God is covering all of his bases. He's got it back home. He's got it with the those in exile, but he also has it. Isn't it good to know that there is a godly person in government? <gasps> Shocking. <laughs> So that's kind of where we are. And so it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. Well, let's get into an intro, shall we? How many of you have ever gone through the book of Daniel with us here at CCMB? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> How many of you have never gone through the book of Daniel ever at a church ever? And I mean in its totality. Welcome to CCMB. This is why we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, all 66 books, the entire Bible. If you spend roughly, it's getting a little slower the older I get. I don't know what's happening. But it's about eight. It used to be five. This is how it used to be. First round, five years. Second round, seven years. 
This round, I don't know. 15 years? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, we've only got a few left in the, th the third round through the Bible. So if you spend any time with us in that length of time, you are going to go through the entire Bible. And that's important. Why, why is it important? Because most churches in the United States of America or the world never go through all 66 books. If, if you believe that God's Word is important, don't you think the church should study it? Amen. And we're going to get into that today. So... Let's have a little bit of intro into Daniel, who he is. The book of Daniel, according to his own testimony, is the record of the life of the prophetic revelations given to Daniel. He is a captive Jew carried off to Babylon in the first conquest of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C., um, it records, well, his life is recorded all the way through to the third year of Cyrus, which is in 536. Daniel has one of the longest ministries next to John the Revelator in the Bible. He has a very long, lengthy ministry uh, that he is uh, engaged in. The book of Daniel, uh, if you're taking note, is one of the rare apocalyptic books in the Bible. And the word apocalyptic just simply means the unveiling of truth that would otherwise be concealed. The other books are not like that in the Bible. They're, they're declaring something to you. They're, they're just describing the heart of God or in uh, Corinthians, the errors that are going, you know, going on in the church and how, how does God want us to fix those? Well, you, you've got a, a book here as well as Ezekiel and Zechariah and Revelation, where it, it is a supernatural vision uh, that God is giving to a human being talking about future events. So that's where Daniel the prophet falls into. Little is said about the history of the Israeli people as far as them being in captivity. Not a lot is known we have a little bit about Esther, you know who she is. She's in captivity, uh, and as well on Wednesday night, we will learn a lot about Ezekiel and his ministry and what God is calling him to do while they are in captivity. Daniel's purpose in writing this book blends the themes of prophecy and piety. He wrote first to show God's first, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he wrote first to show God's future program for Israel in the light of the nation's fall and its heir. And we're going to kind of unpack this whole burrito today. And sorry to use burrito. Now I'm hungry. Um, but the idea is it goes from the reign of the kings of Jerusalem, right? And now we are entering into a totally new area, which is the reign of the Gentiles. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about the time of the Gentiles. You know that phrase in the New Testament? Well, this actually starts that time of the Gentiles because from this point on, Israel is no longer self-ruled. They do not have a king. And only up until 1948, oh, isn't that important? We live in this new era where Israel is back as a nation. They have their language and they are self-governed which means God's prophetic timeline started up again. But this is known as the age of the Gentiles. Again, this book has some issues. 
Now, I don't have issues with it, but people do. You know people, these experts that have been so right lately and continue to be right. But this book comes under enormous criticism from many so-called theologians. And we're going to talk about these theologians in a little bit. But these so-called theologians and experts are telling us that Daniel really didn't write the book of Daniel. Not about you, but I'm very black and white. If it says Daniel on the page, I'm going to believe the Bible? Call me crazy. Anybody? (laughs) So they say that the book, this book of Daniel, is way too accurate to be written by Daniel. It's just too good. Wait, what? Isn't that what prophecy is about? Is that the God of the universe is declaring and and giving information to Daniel that he would otherwise not know, nor anyone else, but he is unveiling a plan and a purpose for nations that are to come. So they say it's just too good to be true. It's too accurate. Well, there are many proofs for Daniel and Daniel writing it and Daniel writing it during the 600 to 500 BC. But I will not bore you with that today. Aren't you thankful? I might bore you with other things. But that is not what I'm going to do. Why? Because the only one that we care about and the only one that I really want their stamp of approval is Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. Is Je- what did Jesus say about Daniel? Well, funny that you should think that because Matthew chapter 24 verse 15 says, Therefore, when you see, these are red letters, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. Well, that's all I need. I don't need a theologian. I don't need somebody writing a book. All I got is Jesus. Listen, if I can't trust Jesus, <laughs> we've got a bigger issue, don't we? We've got salvation. We've got eternity. We've got big problems. We've got big problems if we think theologians know more than Jesus. And there are a lot who think so. So I'm going to go with Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to read from a good old dead guy. I'm going to read from Harry Ironside. And I'm gonna, he's going to put it in perspective for us and about those theologians. Hold on for a bit. It's a little lengthy, but hold on. He says, The little company of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, these four devoted young men set themselves against all the evil of the king of Babylon. They said that they would not defile themselves, as we'll get to in further studies, These were the men in whom God would communicate his will and his mind, his heart. He says, I believe it's important to dwell upon this because in our own day, he says, alas, we don't say that very much, do we? He says, alas, in many cases, prophetic study has been taken up by very unspiritual people. If we are going to get the mind of God in studying this book of Daniel, we must remember that it consists of revelations, deliverances, visions, 
to the spiritually minded man who is separated from the iniquity of his day. Do you hear Ironside? He said, it was given to Daniel who was set apart to God and away from Babylon. He said, if we are to understand it, again, speaking of Daniel, we also need to be spiritually minded and to walk apart from the unholy things of the world. He said, um, the truth of God is learned through the conscience. This is the reason why the most brilliant men can read the Bible over and over again and never hear the voice of God at all. I don't know if you read the Bible before you got saved. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? Then you get saved and the writer of the Bible is now living where? In you. It's pretty easy, isn't it? All right, it's not easy, but it's better than before where you're like, what? So, we need to remember, listen, those who are reading this book who have no light in them, which is the light of Christ, and they're reading a document, they're not going to understand it. They're not going to understand that it's too good to be true means that God outside of time and can see all things spoke to a man inside of time and can declare it because he created all things. Man, that's so easy for me to remember and to understand. I have zero problem with that. Amen? Maybe you do today, but hopefully by the end of the day, I will either confuse you <laughs> or you'll hopefully understand better. Again, he, let me continue. He says, the very, uh, I'm sorry, the very word of God may become poison to an unspiritual man if he reads it without being in subjection to God. He reads it and he finds difficulties. These things arises from the page and in his unbelief, he does not understand them. In his unbelief, he does not understand them. But on the other hand, the same book put into the hands of the spiritually minded person or for us, the believer who has bowed in God's presence, owing his lost uh, condition who has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior, and who is now seeking to live for God and to let his whole life be subjected to the Word of God, that man sits down to the same book and finds it to be food for his soul, Amen. holding him up in the most holy faith. Do you see the difference? You open up Daniel, you don't, you don't understand it. Jesus comes into your life all right, it's a little bit clearer. And this is the point with people that are theologians and experts at Harvard and Yale and Rutgers who are teaching classes on the Bible who they themselves don't even know the Savior in the book. What do you expect? Of course they're going to find some error, which there's not. They're supposedly going to find this or that. But as we know, give it time. And as we'll see today, archaeology proves the Bible over and over. Don't you love God's sense of humor? I do. I think he laughs a lot. 
All right, where are we in time? 605 B.C., what is that? What does 605 B.C. mean? Well, a couple of things are going on at the same time in 605 B.C. Number one, what's going on is the Acropolis in Athens is being built. It's not finished. It's being built in 605 B.C. The Mayan civilization is flourishing in Mexico. So sometimes when we hear a date, if we have other things to put in there, it helps us understand. Um, Confucius and Buddha are alive during this time. Greek art is being uh, expanded as well as the Greeks uh, introduced the olive tree to Italy. And the Phoenicians made the first known sea journey around the tip of Africa. So these are just things that are going on in its day. Verse 1. That was our intro. And I'm a minute, bless you, I'm a minute earlier, boys. Pretty good. Verse 1. Now, according to Daniel, the deportation of him and his companions occurred, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. The great thing and why the experts have such a problem with Daniel is he's so precise. He's so precise in his dating. Now, you got to understand, let's, let's pause a minute. He's about to be in an administration. He's about to be in Babylon. He's gonna, uh, he is going to be taught like Moses. Remember it says Moses, he was taught in all literature, all culture of the Egyptian. Probably Moses and Daniel and Joseph, the, probably the smartest guys in all of the Bible because of what they were taught uh, as far as culture, language, all of these things. And so if you're working for the man, <laughs> you need to be precise, don't you? And you need to be precise in your writing and your dating. And so he is very precise in that it is 605 B.C. Now this parallels with the accounts in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. So it's not just here, it's there. Now, Daniel does not record the final destruction of Jerusalem. That is in 586 B.C., um, but he does give us this time, and then in the next verse he talks about Ezekiel's travel back. Now, these events were fulfilled, in, and God gave many warnings from the prophets that Israel was going to have this disaster because of the sins of the nation of Israel against God. Number one, that Israel had forsaken the law and ignored God's covenant. They had neglected the Sabbath year and the Sabbath day rest upon the land. Ultimately, God claims those 70 years. He's going to take a 70-year pound of flesh out of them. He said, you're not going to let the land rest. I'm going to give the land an entire 70 years to rest. But one of the major issues with Israel in this day was that of idolatry. And we saw that all through the minor prophets. God speaking to them, warning them. Jeremiah, Isaiah, the minor prophets speaking into their life about idolatry. Putting anything between them and God. I know we don't have an idolatry problem, so I'll just continue. We have to be careful with idolatry as well. But God had said to them, listen, if you continue this, I will put you into timeout because of your idolatry. 
But the people failed to heed God and to repent, and so they were carried off captive to Babylon. Now, the funny thing is, if you're going to send a people uh, into captivity or in time out, where better to send them than the heart of idolatry, the heart of wickedness? Think about all of the depravity that you can. Don't spend too much time on it. That's where God sends them. He sends them to Babylon. Again, when the word of God is ignored and violated, divine judgment is inevitable. The spiritual lessons embodied in the cold, hard fact of the captivity does us well as in the church to ponder it. Listen, worldly saints do not capture the world, but become instead the world's captives. This is a side note, what I think is interesting. You know, during the, the reign of Josiah, the king of Israel, that they found, for our purposes, the Bible hidden in the temple. Can you imagine that? The priest was just doing priestly duties that day and he stumbled upon the word of God that had been hidden. Now think about the church in the United States of America. How many churches are hiding the word of God and not declaring it because it might be offensive? And as we will see, and possibly because the government will shut you down. Oh, we're going to have fun. And Daniel, it is so applicable, and I love how God does that. God gave them a stern warning what was coming. Keep your place here. Let's turn to Habakkuk, and I know what you're thinking. Where is that? Well, we were just there a few months ago. God gave this stern warning of what was coming in Habakkuk chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 5. He said, Look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in you and in those days which you will not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. These are not nice people, are they? <laughs> their judgment and their dignity proceeds from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. And their charges charge ahead and their cavalry comes from afar. And they fly as an eagle, and they hasten to eat or to capture. They come for violence, and their faces are like the east wind, and they gather captives like the sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned among them, and they deride every stronghold, for they are heaped up in earthen mound, and what does it say? And siege them. Turn back now to Daniel. So what we learn is that God warned the nation of Israel what was coming. He said, I'm bringing the Babylonians and they will besiege. Notice it says they came to Jerusalem to besiege it. 
And now we learn about Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he is mentioned more than any other pagan king in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar. This is an interesting man. We'll see his life through this book. It is quite interesting how God used him. But Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem because, why did this all happen? Because Pharaoh Necho, I know what you're thinking, history, Yes, history here. You need to know a couple of things. Pharaoh Necho came against and invaded Babylon. In response, the young prince Nebuchadnezzar defeated the Egyptians at Carchemish, and then they pursued them all the way down the Mediterranean, all the way to Egypt. Well, along the way and the way back, they subdued Jerusalem, which had been loyal to Pharaoh Necho in Egypt. And it all happened in 605 B.C. But the campaign of Nebuchadnezzar was interrupted because word came to Nebuchadnezzar that his father had died in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know if you know anything about secession and kings, but if you don't get back home soon, somebody else will be king. So he made the 500-mile trek in two weeks. I know what you're thinking. Two weeks? I can do that in a day in a car or in a plane in an hour. Do it on a horse with five or 10,000 troops behind you, let alone Daniel and his companions. So they make haste and they get back to Babylon to which he is set up as the king. Now, before we go any further in Daniel, I know what you're thinking, 25 minutes into it, and now you're going to get to that point. What's the book of Daniel for? Why are we studying it? What is God trying to tell us through this young man who becomes an old man, steadfast and faithful to God? Well, I think there are two main lessons that we need to learn from it. The first, and I think which is very important, is that God through Daniel shows Israel that God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the world, even though it seems like Babylon is victorious. What does it say in verse 2? It says that God gave. Babylon can do nothing without God's approval. And so ultimately, this book is about the sovereignty of God and then lays out for us and for the Israelis this future idea of not only Messiah coming in chapter 9, but also the, all of the kingdoms that are going to come after Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. You see, Messiah is coming. I love that as a theme. That's the theme. The sovereignty of God. It doesn't matter what Babylon does. God rules and reigns. Guys, it doesn't matter what Ukraine or Russia does. Or even the United States of America. God is in control. Amen? And by the way, let's put some hope back into Jesus and not into elections. Listen, I love America, but my hope is not in America. My hope is in Jesus Christ and our soon return. I was just, now would be good. Amen. Just one time, wouldn't that be funny? Teaching, and I said it, he's like, oh, okay. We're out of here. 
Watch your head going through the ceiling. <laughs> Secondly, how do we navigate in a world in which the Gentile nations, or better for us, the pagan world has taken over? Now let's put this real for us. We used to be a Judeo-Christian nation. That is done. We don't live in that world anymore. Look, I, I'm the product of the 70s and 80s. Some of you remember the 50s and the 60s. A little bit turbulent times, but innocent, yes? We don't live in those times anymore. We live in a pagan world. We live in Babylon. So how do we live life in Babylon? And is it possible to be faithful like Daniel, living in a world opposed to everything that is godly and righteous. And by the way, not only will we learn through Daniel and his friends, but we also learn from history as well. For the last 2,000 years, people have been living in Babylon in some form, in some way, and they have survived it as well. I encourage you to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Daniel and his friends teach us that we can be faithful men and women living life under the pagan domination of Satan. <laughs> we live in Babylon today, and we're going to learn how to live in Babylon. Verse 2. <laughs> so it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, notice little g, and he brought the articles into the house of his God, little g. Again, the first wave is 605. The second wave is 597. That's what we learned on Wednesday night because that is Ezekiel's group. About 50,000 Jews are taken with Ezekiel and some of the articles are taken away. Again, this is out of 2 Kings 24. But all of this was prophesied. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 39, verse 7. And they shall take away some of your young sons who will descend from you, again from the, the ruling class, and whom you begot, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So God told them that this was going to happen. You cannot stop it. But note with me, it says some of the articles, again, that would be from the temple, were taken. Now, I, I kind of describe this through the minor prophets. If you are Babylon, you have your gods. And if you're Assyria, you have your gods. And if Babylon wins over the Assyrians, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that their gods were more powerful than the Assyrian gods, because they all got gods, they all got temples, they all sacrificed to them, so it must be that the Babylonians were better. That's what the Babylonians think, but what does it say? It says God gave them. He Nothing was going to happen unless God allowed it to happen. Now you ask, you, why did God allow it? Well, I, I just said it. Israel for its period of time under the kings, kept rebelling against God, kept idolatry at the forefront, kept not keeping the Sabbath, 
rejected God's warning, rejected God's prophet, and ultimately this world will be judged because they have failed to heed God's prophets, God's word, and God's son. So some of the articles are taken. Um, By the way, we don't think all of them, we think some of them were taken because if the, especially if the Ark of the Covenant was taken, I guarantee you Babylon would have put that on something <laughs> and let everybody know, we got it, because that's kind of like the number one thing. Tradition tells us, and you take that for what it is, tradition tells us that Jeremiah knew because God said it that they were going to be taken captive. He took the Ark and he hid it away somewhere. Now, Don't send me an email that has a video that says, I watched a video and this guy knows where it is. (laughs) Nobody knows where it is. God will reveal it in his time. We won't be here. It'll come out probably during the tribulation and the Antichrist will probably use it in some form. That takes us to verse (laughs) 3, which again, I'm waning in time. Well, then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Okay, notice his name, Ashpenaz. If you go to Berlin, maybe you would like to take a trip over to the Rhine area and experience Bavaria. I would love to do it. I would love to do a Martin Luther kind of thing. Then go over and look into Poland and different places. Go to, uh, go to some of where the camps were. Um, but if you go to Berlin, you're going to go into the museum there and you're going to find the gates of Babylon there in Berlin. But you're also going to find a monument that mentions Ashpenaz by name. In fact, it says Ashpenaz, the king of the eunuchs. That is extra biblical. That means something outside of the Bible. Here's the Bible. This is what it says. It is giving a, well, it's giving a stamp of approval. By the way, they found something recently in Iraq again. By, they have yet to even uncover Babylon. I mean, it's just layers and miles. We'll talk about how big it is next week. It's huge. There's been kind of an issue lately over in Iraq. Have you seen all that? Oh, okay, for like, I don't know, 100 years over there. So it's kind of hard to do archaeology when bullets are flying over your head. But they found a cylinder that has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's name on it. On it! It has their name in Aramaic, but it is their name. It does not have Daniel's name, but it has the three, his three friends. So it is incredible what's out there. And by the way, what has yet to be uncovered. And if God tarries, more and more just gets uncovered. But it says, he instructed that they bring some of the children of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar not only confiscated the holy things from the temple, he also took one of the most important things in any nation, the youth. Now, I wanted to do four, uh, three and four today. We're not going to get into verse four. We will lightly get into a little bit of this today. But in selecting these youths for education in, in the court of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was accomplishing several objectives. Number one, those carried away captive 
could well serve as hostages and help keep the royal family still in Judah. They kept him in line. Imagine this, you are the royal family in Jerusalem, they take your kids as hostage, you are not going to do anything stupid, are you? Because the leverages will kill your kids. So you're not going, funny thing is, he does do something stupid, because he gets attacked three, to, three times, this happens in Israel. So that's number one, they, they say, we have your kids you can't do anything about it. You can't speak against the state or you'll be canceled. Oh, I want to go to verse 4, but I can't. I need you to hear that. Ultimately, we are getting to a place where the state thinks that it has full control of the youth. And what are the adults? Don't you dare speak out. We'll get the FBI on you. You don't want that book in our library? Too bad. We have your kids. Now next week we will talk about that. How to live in Babylon. Also, their presence in the king's court would also be a pleasant reminder to the Babylonian king of his conquest. It's the spoils of war. But also, it was so that the king of Babylon, and by the way, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he's a smart guy. I know we talk about agendas and the state and government, and we think they're idiots and morons and they don't know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They have a plan. They have an agenda. And Nebuchadnezzar knows that these are Jewish boys and I have a Jewish province. So they're gonna he, these boys are going to help me administrate that province. So it's kind of a smart thing that they would do as a nation. By the way, <clears throat> this is important for parents. You see, the book of Daniel is often taught to young kids at a conference or a camp. Dare to be Daniel, to stand up. But the first section of Daniel is primarily towards the parents. You see, are your young people ready to experience the things that Daniel and his friends went through? To not give up on God and not allow them and the, their self to be changed by Babylon? Can your kids survive today like Daniel? Can they survive today? You guys, around the world, kids, they suffer many things. And the kids in the Americas, or America, United States of America, they think that they have huge problems. Now, there are problems. We will address that next week. But they are the man's problems and a system put onto them, they're not real oh, problem. You understand what I'm saying, right? They're made up, right? People cause problems, and then they come around and say, we're going to fix the problems that we created. Why would I trust you? You just made the problem work. Okay, that's next week. But we have kids that freak out 
because the Wi-Fi's down. What do we do now? We have to talk to one another? I can't do that. You know the great thing about campus, and I say this all the time, we have bad cell service. At Camp Arrowwood, we have bad cell service, but we also take their phones. And you know what? This week, none of the kids died. Some of them twitched a little bit in withdrawals because they didn't have their phone. But they have first world problems. And I don't say it this way. Don't, don't say They're not real problems. They're made up problems. They're made up by the Babylonian system. Again, that we will all unpack next week. What is important to teach our, our youth is that character is important. The truth is important. Feelings are not as important as the truth. And we need to teach them that they too can be separated unto God and away from Babylon. Now, as we close, I want you to imagine what it was like for Daniel and his friends to be ripped from their family that day. What was it like to have government officials, the state, come in armed and rip your children away from your your house? You can't do anything about it. What was that like for them? What was it like for the family? For all intents and purposes, Jerusalem is a small town. It's not a big town at all. These are country boys. And they're about to go to the city. By the way, the most polluted, disgusting, everything under the sun they've ever dreamed of city. Debauchery from miles, temple, temple prostitutes, everything. Everything that their flesh could ever want. Hmm. It was a temptation that was about to steamroll them. You see, you can't go into a day like that if you're not prepared. Uh, I say this a lot. You, can't, you gotta have a plan in place before they hand you the beer. You got to have a plan in place before they hand you a joint. Or for the kids today, the devil's lettuce. You got to have a plan in place before somebody makes a move on you sexually. If you are not prepared beforehand, you will often fail at that time, because you're not prepared. You're not ready for the battle. You're not ready for the fight. I have it trained. You see, Daniel and his friends, they're trained. They're godly. Their parents raised them right. Now, does that mean in every case they're going to succeed? No, because there is human will and human choice. Isn't that terrible? But it gives them a fighting chance to be prepared. Guys, I think about the times in World War II 
where families were ripped apart and children were used and they were relocated to camps for hard labor. And I ask myself today, would our nation be able to fight World War II today? Would the youth of America, addicted to all that they are addicted to in social media, be able to stand for God in a camp? Today's generation of young people, could they survive in the day of Daniel? That's where parents and the church come into it. We must prepare our, our young people for what they are about to experience. You see, we no longer live outside of Babylon. We live inside of Babylon. And the world system is evil. And this is just free. The social media companies, they don't care about your kids at all. They... they aligned with the enemy, comes to steal, lie, and destroy. And they want your young person's soul. And how they do that next week is by indoctrination. It is a system that you think is new, but it's not new. It's as old as Babylon. They set a plan in motion and what to teach what to read, what to say, how to text. We'll see that next week. No slide. <laughs> they were so bummed. I gave them like four or five slides, and they're like, we only got one today. We can't really do anything. Read ahead. How do we live in Babylon? How does the church navigate the state when the state comes against you and against your family? Because as we'll see next week, is it about get free or be free? R read ahead. That's next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time, Lord, for your word, for the life of Daniel, Lord, and his friends, but for Daniel's parents who raised him right at 14 or 15 years old, to stand up, to survive, not only the journey to Babylon, but to stand in the midst of a wicked city against a system that would destroy him in a minute, indoctrinate them. Lord, let us be as parents in the church vigilant steadfast to protect the young and that we would not hand them over to the state, not to the king, but to the king of kings. So, Father, thank you for our day and for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.